John chapter 7. Turn with me this morning in your Bibles to John chapter 7. And we are going to continue in our series this morning on what an authentic faith in Jesus looks like when we're going to look at the life of a man named Nicodemus. Last week we talked about from John chapter 3 where Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He was a religious leader. He was curious about who Jesus was, but he was also it was dangerous for him to go see Jesus at night because he didn't want to be associated with Jesus. And so he went, or to be seen in public, so he went with him to see him at night. And the main topic that Jesus talked to him about was his need to be born again. And basically, Jesus described that somebody who has an authentic life with Jesus, or somebody who has an authentic relationship with Jesus, they are born again. They become a new person. It's almost like they have a new birthday because God has become real in their hearts and lives. And so today in John chapter 7, it's the second place that we see someone in Scripture where we see Nicodemus is mentioned in scripture. So scholars believe that this is roughly two and a half years later. So from John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, to where we are in John chapter 7 is about two and a half years later. This is at a large Jewish feast, and on the last day of the feast, Jesus comes and begins to teach them. And so if you remember, the reason why Nicodemus came at night is because the religious leaders didn't like Jesus two and a half years ago. They definitely don't like Jesus at this point. And in fact, they've already ordered their officers of the temple to arrest Jesus on sight. And so that's where we are. And we're going to pick up John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37. I invite you to stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's word this morning. If you're physically able to stand, if you're not, then you feel free to worship the Lord right there where you are. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, remember that, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, I ask truly, Holy Spirit, would you strengthen me, God, to speak what you would have to say. And God, I pray that you would speak to your people this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The title of our message this morning is, Who is and who isn't a follower of Jesus? Now, John chapter 7 shows us a lot of things, but primarily, at first glance, it paints Nicodemus in a very favorable light. Nicodemus speaks 
up for Jesus' defense as they're questioning. The religious leaders are making plans to arrest him, and he's questioning if their plans are justifiable or not. And so we need to notice a few things as this verse in this passage as it pertains to Nicodemus. First, I want you to notice this morning that Nicodemus speaking up for Jesus, I believe it shows us that Nicodemus very likely had a favorable opinion of Jesus. I believe this passage shows that he liked Jesus. As Jesus is about to be arrested, Nicodemus speaks up and calls time out and taps the brakes and says, oh, hold up here, guys. Can we really arrest this man? And I believe so. It shows us that he likes Jesus. He has a favorable opinion of Jesus for a couple different reasons. I believe first it shows us that he likes Jesus because he's willing to face ridicule for it. You know, again, Jesus is not a popular guy in this moment. He's not popular uh, in this situation. I think Nicodemus recognizes that the vast momentum of what's going on is the religious leaders are trying to arrest to kill Jesus, but rather he speaks up and he is kind of chastened for it. They look at him and say, are you too from Galilee? And so he's willing to face a little ridicule. You don't face ridicule for somebody that you don't like most of the time. Also, I believe it shows us that Nicodemus likely believed that Jesus was innocent. He knew that he was not guilty of any religious crime. And so he speaks up in his defense. I believe it also shows us that Nicodemus didn't want anything bad to happen to Jesus. The Bible makes it clear that at this point, the religious leaders are not just wanting to arrest Jesus. They are ultimately wanting to destroy Jesus. He threatened who they were. And, and very likely, Nicodemus felt that that was the thrust, the trajectory of where things were going. And so he doesn't want anything bad to happen to Jesus. So he speaks up in his defense. And also, I believe that this shows us that Nicodemus still very likely has the same opinion of Jesus that he did two and a half years earlier when he came to him at night. In John chapter 3, verse 2, when Nicodemus first spoke to Jesus, he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I believe that basically the same opinion that Nicodemus had for Jesus two and a half years earlier is still the same. Nicodemus believes, very likely believes, that Jesus is sent of God, and he appreciates his ministry, the, the miracles, the hand of God on his life. So at first glance, to look at John chapter 7, you would think, man, Nicodemus, that's a good dude right there. Look at him speaking up for Jesus. He's a good man. He's very likely a follower of Jesus. However, that's not the full picture. Secondly, I want us to notice that even though this text shows that Nicodemus liked Jesus, I also believe that it shows that it's very likely that he's not an authentic follower of Jesus at this point. Even though Nicodemus had spoken up for Jesus, this passage shows us that his faith had some serious holes in it still. Let me give you a few of those. First, the fact that Nicodemus was still being counted among the Pharisees showed that he had not left his position to follow Jesus, which makes it very difficult to believe that he is an authentic follower of Jesus. You see, being a follower of Jesus and being a Pharisee were mutually exclusive stances. In this moment in history, being a Pharisee and being a follower of Jesus were not possible to do at the same time. And Nicodemus knew that, which is why in John 3, two and a half years earlier, he came to Jesus at night. And in fact, the Bible shows us another great man of God, the Apostle Paul, who was also a Pharisee, 
that when he began to follow Jesus, he immediately left that group. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Paul speaks about some of the things that he left behind to follow Jesus. And he specifically mentions being a Pharisee. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, the persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is the law found blameless. Well, listen at verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul knew that being a Pharisee and being a follower of Jesus couldn't mix, so he left one to do the other. At this point, Nicodemus has not done that. Remember, it says he is among them. He was one of them. Also, the fact that Nicodemus didn't publicly profess that he was a follower of Jesus, even though he has two opportunities to do so in this text, makes it difficult to believe that he's a follower of Jesus. Remember the first time... Uh, when these guards come back and they're reporting to the Pharisees about Jesus and they say, why didn't you arrest him? And they say, no one has ever spoken like this man. And they look at him and they, they say, have you been deceived also? And then they make the statement, has any of the Pharisees followed him? Nicodemus is among those men in that moment. And so if he had been a follower of Jesus, this was a moment where he should have spoken up and said, I I'm a follower of Jesus, but the Bible records that he says nothing. Later on in this text, as he has spoken up for Jesus, and they look at him and say, are you too from Galilee? They're basically sarcastically kind of chastening him, saying, asking him where his stance is. Are you a follower of Jesus? And again, the Bible records Nicodemus saying nothing. So even though Nicodemus had spoken up for Jesus here, the fact that he was still a Pharisee two and a half years later, and the fact that he had not publicly professed Jesus, even though he had been given two opportunities, it shows us that it's very likely that he was not an authentic follower of Jesus here in John chapter 7. This is the first major point that I want us to know today. Today, we need to know that just because you like Jesus does not mean you're a follower of Jesus. Just because you like Jesus doesn't mean that you're a follower of Jesus. What Nicodemus did here was a nice thing. He subjected himself to a little bit of ridicule. He believed that Jesus was innocent. He didn't want him to get in trouble. But at the same time, he was not willing to leave his position to be a follower of Jesus. And he was not willing to publicly profess Jesus. He was a divided man, not a devoted man. You know, the Bible makes it clear in multiple places that people with divided worship and affections are never seen as people with authentic faith. In 1 Kings chapter 18, what is referred to as the showdown at Mount Carmel, you see God's people have become inundated with worshiping the false gods and the practices of the people of the land. They still refer to themselves as the children of Israel, the followers of Yahweh, but they're also following after the pagan gods of the land. And so God sends them the prophet Elijah to call them to make a choice about where they stand. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, Elisha said to the people, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Notice there, he says, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? Opinions, divided worship is never anything that honors God. 
In a similar moment in the book of Revelations in chapter 3, the Bible says that the resurrected Jesus looks at the church of Laodicea and tells them that they too are a divided people. He says in Revelations 3, 15 through 16, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, church, this needs to say a few things for us. First, it needs to remind us that Jesus sees our deeds. Now, now we need to take a time out there for a moment. We need to preach a little bit here. Jesus sees our deeds. Now, that, that means that he doesn't just see who we are on Sunday mornings. He doesn't just see who we are on social media. But he sees the totality of who we are at all times. This is important because who we are is based not on who we are in public, but rather who we are when no one else is watching. When Jesus looks at the church at Revelation here at Laodicea, he says, I know your deeds, that you're not hot, which means you're not fully pursuing me, but you're also not cold. You're not distant from me, negating me completely, but you're lukewarm. You're somewhere in the middle. You are, you are a divided people. And the Bible says that sort of people, that sort of faith makes God want to puke. Now, listen to me for a moment. Every Christian I know struggles with sin and temptations of this world. Every Christian I know fails at moments, but... The difference between those who fail and those who are genuinely divided people are where are the affections of your heart lie? Where does your heart lie? Do you truly want to please Jesus more than anything else in the world? Yes, you may fail at times, but you truly have given your heart and life to him. It's a good example of this is my relationship with my wife. Now, I struggle at times, believe it or not, doing everything that I can to please my wife. There are times when I don't pick up my clothes like I'm supposed to. There are times when I don't get my washcloth out of the shower. And if I really want to upset my wife, I will not respond to a text message in a timely way. Now, to be fair, she doesn't always 100% please me either. Like her aversion to getting gas before the gas light comes on and coming home. Now... There may be moments where we may not please each other, but at the same time, I'd lay my life down for her in a moment. She has my heart. True followers of Jesus, you may mess up at times, but he is truly the greatest affection of your life. But if your love is divided, then you cannot be a true follower of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. For he, either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. The two major areas that are missing in Nicodemus' faith in John 7 are two cornerstones of authentic faith. And they are public profession and a willingness to sacrifice. Church, I want you to know this morning that if you're not willing to publicly profess Jesus, then you cannot be a true follower of him. In Mark chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, does that sound familiar today? The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and with his angels. 
Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. All over the scriptures and Christian history, public profession must follow genuine faith. And one of the first ways we do that is through baptism. Baptism doesn't bring you into a relationship with God, but it is you publicly professing that you are a follower of Jesus. And if you're not willing to do that, then how is your faith genuine? Let me give you an example of that. Baptism is like a wedding ring. I can take my wedding ring off and I'm just as married as I am with it on. But that wedding ring lets the world know that I am married. Now imagine on my wedding day, as I stand and look at my beautiful bride, and we go through all of our vows and all of our ceremony and we have vowed to take one another and it gets to the ring portion and the pastor starts talking about the ring and it's circle being the unending covenant but it's public display of your love for one another and I say well hey, hang on now time out I love you and I want you to be my wife but I'm a little hesitant about the ring because I don't want anybody to know about it let me say something to you I would have left that day on August 5th, 2006, an unmarried man, okay? And why is that? Because you can't fully expect intimacy without profession. You can't fully expect that you could walk and talk and, and proclaim in life, everything else in life, but not Jesus and still be his follower. For centuries, public profession through baptism is the first step of being a follower of Jesus, but it never ends there. Your public profession and being a follower of Jesus starts at baptism, but then you profess him every day that you live. Nicodemus was not willing to do that. And so I believe he's not an authentic follower of Jesus at this point. Also, if you're not willing to sacrifice everything for Jesus, then you cannot be a true follower of Jesus. Again, we see here in John 7 that Nicodemus was not willing to trade in his posh, important, affluent life of being a Pharisee which points to the fact that he was not an authentic follower of Jesus. He wasn't willing to suffer loss for the sake of Jesus. Church family, I want you to know this morning that being willing to sacrifice, to suffer loss for the sake of Jesus is absolutely a cornerstone of genuine faith. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Church, the gospel is simple. Jesus gave everything for us, and he demands and is worthy of everything from us. He is worthy of our love. He is worthy of our obedience, our affection, our time. He is worthy of being made fun of at school, students. He is worthy of saying no to the things that everyone else says yes to. He is worthy of any disadvantages we might have to endure to do things God's way. He's worthy of not making the most money or being the most popular. He is worthy of making sure that our kids grow up spending most Sundays at church and not on the ball fields or at the hunting camp. He is worthy of not having the greatest social media following. Now, don't don't get me wrong. Are these decisions easy? No. If it was easy, it wouldn't be a sacrifice. But as we consider these moments of sacrifice that God places before us, we must remember that the life that Jesus has called his followers to is a life that is carrying a cross. 
Jesus calls his followers to live a life of many deaths. If your faith has not called you to die, then it is very likely you don't have a real faith. Friends, I want you to know something today. Following Jesus is not cheap, but neither are the rewards. What he offers for our full submission is real satisfaction. And his way is always better. Friends, I want you to hear me this morning. When it comes to a true, authentic faith, Jesus doesn't have fans. He has followers. A lot of people like Jesus. But that doesn't mean that you're a follower of Jesus. I believe that's where we are here in John chapter 7. Nicodemus is a fan, but he's not a follower. Now turn quickly with me to John chapter 19. And let me show you the last time we see Nicodemus in the Bible. We can pick up in verse 31. Just after Jesus has died and while his body still hangs on the cross. I want you to wrap your minds around this for a moment. Jesus was arrested by the Pharisees. Interrogated and beaten by the Jewish priest. He was then turned over to Roman authorities where they requested that he be crucified. He was then interrogated again by Herod and Pontius Pilate. During his interrogation, he was scourged, which means he was brutally whipped, lacerating his skin almost to the point of death. He was then brought back out before the people where Pontius Pilate ordered him to be crucified. He was then forced to carry a cross and to carry it out of the city while wearing a crown of thorns. Once he arrived at Golgotha, he was then nailed to a cross between two criminals. While on the cross, he was mocked again by religious leaders. If this is the Son of God, command him to come down from the cross. However, the worst of his torture was not physical, but it was spiritual. And that the agony he endured on the cross was that he took the sin of the world on himself while God poured his wrath out upon him. Jesus did all of this willingly. If you were here last Sunday, we talked about how Jesus can erase your sin, can wash us clean. I want you to know this morning that he's able to do that not because he overlooks our sin, because a holy God must punish sin. However, Jesus is able to wash us of our sin. Because he was willing to be covered in our sin. And in his innocence, he took the punishment we deserve for our sin on the cross. Just before he died, he let out a cry to Telestai that said, It is finished. Which meant he had completed the mission that he had come to do. He had provided salvation for all who would believe. The Bible says then he bowed his head and he died. This is where we pick up. In John 19, 31. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with them. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. That not one of his bones will be broken. And again another scripture says they will look on him at whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate 
that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Now look at verse 39. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Church, we need to grasp the gravity of this moment. In John 7, Nicodemus is still afraid to be publicly seen with Jesus. And now he is publicly ministering to Jesus by helping to take his body down from the cross and give him a proper burial. He is likely about to be disbanded and disgraceful among the Pharisees. And now his own life may be in danger. What Nicodemus lacked in his faith in John 7 in public profession and sacrifice is now being fulfilled in this moment. Nicodemus is now truly an authentic follower of Jesus. Now the question might be asked, what brought him to this place? And we would only have to use our, our, our sanctified imagination in that. Could it have been that his friend Joseph of Arimathea, who was also afraid of the Jews, that they got together and their faiths convinced one another and they said, hey, let's go together. Let's, let's publicly stand with Jesus together. It's possible. Could it have been that he was near the cross when he heard Jesus cry out for the forgiveness of those who were crucifying and he was so moved by his grace and mercy of his tormentors, that he gave his life to Jesus as possible. I personally believe that as he was near the crucifixion, that he was reminded of the words in John chapter 3 when Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And I believe that when he saw Jesus on the cross, that it clicked in his mind, this is the Savior of the world, and he put his faith in Jesus. But to be honest with you, we don't know what happened. All we know is that his actions express the authenticity of his faith. But not just his actions, but also his love. I want to give you our last truth this morning. Is that true followers of Jesus are those who love Jesus. Just because you like Jesus doesn't mean you're a true follower of Jesus. But if you're a true follower of Jesus, you love him. You know, the Bible talks a lot about how those who are followers of Jesus, they love him. Romans chapter 5, 5. The Apostle Paul says, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. That's what happens when you come to faith in Jesus. When you're born again, the love of God is poured out in your heart. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14, the Apostle Paul says that it is the love of Christ that controls us. When, when you really experience God's love, it begins to dictate the actions of your life. Church, I want to ask you a question here today. Do you love Jesus? I mean, that's a, that's a really important question. Not do you like him? Not do you go to church? Not do you try to do the right things? Do you love Jesus? You know, when we talk about loving something, we're not talking about emotional, fuzzy feelings. But when you truly love something, it is measurable. When you love something, you think about it all the time. When you love something, you miss it. If it's a way, when you love something, you care for it and you treasure it. And I want you to know something this morning. When you truly love something, people around you know it. 
That man, that woman loves his wife, loves his children, loves his Jesus. You say, Pastor Zach, what does that kind of love look like? Let me give you a few thoughts, a few ways that Nicodemus expressed his love for Jesus as we prepare to close. First, I want us to remember that Nicodemus' love for Jesus could be seen and that he served him in a non-glamorous way. This is not Instagram-worthy love here, what he's doing. Think about this. He is taking down from the cross. He is handling a dead body here, a bloody, gruesome dead body. He is removing nails out of his flesh and then treating and cleaning his body. This would have been something that would have been reserved only for dearest of family and closest of friends. And it's not something that you go and and, and give spiritual virtue signaling to the world. It's not something that you take selfies with. This is something that's real, and it's real, and it's not glamorous, but you do it because you love them. My stepdad and his family, when somebody in their family passes away, I got to watch my stepdad's mom and dad be buried. And one of the most beautiful things is the family arrives early that morning, the day of the funeral, and all the young men with shovels, they dig the grave. Now, it would be easy to hire somebody to open and close that, and they could come in and get done in just a few seconds with machinery, what took them hours. But they don't shy away from the dirty work. They don't shy away from the tears and the sweat because it's an expression of love. It's not glamorous. But it's real. Do you love Jesus in that way? But you think about this, secondly, John 19 shows us that, that Nicodemus' love for Jesus can be seen in that it was not selfish. Jesus could do nothing for Nicodemus at this point. Nicodemus is basically out of a job at this moment, being a Pharisee. Jesus could provide no, no, no uh, career counseling for him at this point. If he's Running for his life would be afraid. Very likely that's about to happen. Jesus could offer no protection for him. No healing, no ministry. There was nothing that Jesus could do for him in this moment. But he does it anyway. He serves him anyway. Friends, I want you to know something this morning. I'm so thankful that we serve a good father. That we can bring our children before the church to be prayed over. I'm so thankful that we serve a good father who meets us in our brokenness and in our failures. And he ministers to us. But hear me today. True love is seen. Lord Jesus, I'll serve you even if you never do another thing for me. And finally, I'm going to ask our instrumentalist to come back. Nicodemus' love for Jesus can be seen in that it was full of faith. He loved and served Jesus even when it was hard to see his full plan. I felt like the Lord laid this on my heart just this last week. Friends, we need to remember here That in this moment, Nicodemus is serving Jesus prior to the resurrection. Think about that. Nicodemus is serving the body of Jesus in this moment. It had to be a struggle for his new faith. He believed that Jesus was the Christ. He believed that he was the rescuer. But right now, the Savior was dead. He had to have been wondering, how could he be the Messiah and be dead? However, even with his questions, and even when he didn't fully understand, he still loved and served his new king. Friends, our love for Jesus can't be seen only in the moments when we fully understand God's plan. 
A true love for Jesus is seen not just when we serve him on the days where it feels like Easter Sunday, but a true love for Jesus has to be seen when we serve him on the days when it feels like the torture of Good Friday. Church, a real faith is seen when we serve Jesus and love Jesus on the days when death seems closer to life than when we love and serve him on the days when the grave seems closer than the resurrection. Friends, we truly love Jesus when we serve him, when the darkness of our sinful world seems closer than the daylight of the coming glory. Our true love for Jesus can be seen when you'll serve his body on the cross in the same way that you would serve him walking out of the tomb. Friends, I want you to know something this morning. There will be times in your life when we don't understand God's plan. You hear me today? There's moments when you will not see the full picture, when it doesn't make sense in the moment. And in that moment, if your faith wanes, in that moment, if Jesus is just not enough, then your faith's not real. But it's in the moments of tragedy, in the moments of brokenness, in the moments of sickness, in the moments of the cancer diagnosis, in the moments beside the grave plot where you've just said goodbye to someone when you don't understand that the faith of Jesus rises up within you and you pray the prayer of Job that though he slay me, still I will trust him. This is the kind of love that an authentic follower of Jesus has. Friends, don't you know something today? That's the kind of faith that he's worthy of. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you like him? Or do you love him? I remember being about 18 years old, probably I was at my church on a Sunday morning. My pastor was preaching. He told the story of Polycarp, one of the early church fathers, because he was not willing to say Caesar is Lord, was taken into the Colosseum, was strapped to a stake as bundles of kindling was laid around him. And they gave him an opportunity to die a quick death if he would just say Caesar is Lord. But in that moment, he cried out, Jesus is Lord. And he died in the flames. Listen, I know this. I know that I was saved in that moment. But I remember I came down out of the balcony, came down front, met a guy named Bill Street who took me into a back room. And this was my prayer. I know I love Jesus, but I don't love him like that. And I want to. See, I was a follower, but my faith was kind of drifting towards being more of a fan. Friends, I want you to know this morning, are you a fan or are you a follower? There's two types of people in this room, I believe, today. There are those who you truly know Jesus, but you know you need to step up your game. He's worthy of it. And there are those in this room who you say, Pastor Zach, I just don't really know him. I don't know him. You wouldn't suffer for him. You wouldn't profess him. You wouldn't sacrifice for him. You don't know him. How do you get to that place? You've got to see the Savior on the cross. So Nicodemus did. He saw him on the cross. You saw the innocent Son of God take your sin on the cross because he loved you. We love because he first loved us. Do you know that this morning, church? Do you know, friends, 
Do you know the love of Jesus today? If you don't, you can. Right now, you can say, Jesus, I receive your love for me. I give my life to you. You can do that today. You can ask Jesus to come into your heart and life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. If you say today, Pastor Zach, I like Jesus, but I don't think I really love him. But I believe he loves me. So I want to give my life to him. Right there where you are, would you just call out and say, Jesus, save me. I give my life to you. Right there where you are, call out to him and say, Jesus, save me. Now, if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Zach, I know I'm a follower of Jesus. And you can say, I love him. But I look more like a fan than a follower. Maybe you need to cry out to him and say, Jesus, forgive me. Tell him, Jesus, I'll proclaim you anywhere. And Jesus, anything you want from my life, it's yours. I lay my life before you. It's the kind of prayers that God will honor this morning. If you're here this morning and you gave your life to Jesus, you feel free to come forward here in a few moments. Take one of our pastors by the hand or come and see us right after service and tell us, hey, I gave my life to Jesus and we'd love to connect with you. Maybe some of you this morning gave your life to Jesus and you need to make it public and get baptized today. Hey, you can do it this morning. Make your faith in Christ public this morning. You feel free to come forward and let us know that. If you need to join this church or if you need somebody to pray for you, you feel free to come as we sing.